Hello and welcome to SoupX Radio, a weekly talk show devoted to startup and early stage entrepreneurship, venture investing, and small businesses in general. You can find us in the iTunes store now by searching for SoupX Radio. That's S-U-P-X Radio. And you can also visit us on our website, www.sup-x.org. And remember to follow us on Twitter, at the SoupX. That's at T-H-E-S-U-P-X. Our guest this week is John Fitz, founder and CEO of Fairfax Strategies, a data and analytics consultancy in Charlotte, North Carolina, and also my brother. Uh, but the main reason he's on here is because, frankly, I think he's one of the most intelligent, practical users of data and analytics, particularly in a marketing sense of people that I know. So thanks, brother, for being here today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's just get started, John. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about, you know, what strategy, you know, what is Fairfax Strategies? What do you guys do? Sure. So uh, we're a cloud-based analytics company. um, And to demystify things a little bit, we basically help clients use their data uh, as intelligence. Um, Most of my clients uh, are up operating every day they turn on their lights. They're generating some data somewhere. Uh, Most of my clients have issues trying to get their hands around that data. Fairfax Strategies helps them uh, get their hands around that data and begin using it to uncover insights. Most of those insights are about how to find opportunity, uh, either untapped markets, uh, areas where they could be generating new business that they're not pursuing. Um, hosted analytics is not a new game. Uh, the spin that Fairfax Strategies applies to it is we move beyond just our clients' internal data and we help them connect to data that exists beyond their four walls. Uh, most often than not, uh, companies learn a lot about what their operations are, how they're performing, how they're executing by looking inside, and then they find out where market opportunity is by looking outside. So Fairfax Strategies helps companies blend those two worlds together in a, a fairly simple and easy way to approach and find opportunity. We'll come back to all that in a little bit more detail. Uh, that's a great kind of overview. But how did you come up with this idea? What's your – the audience, I'd be curious – I'm sure our audience would be curious to know more about, uh, you know, what led you to start in your own business because you're an entrepreneur yourself. And, you know, what was your background and – how did you use data in your previous life, if at all? What was the genesis? What made you decide to go and make the leap from corporate to entrepreneur? Sure. So I was the guy inside that company trying to figure out how to uh, get my arms around that data. I was the analyst. And I had been an analyst at Fortune 500 companies, actually Fortune 20, all the way down to startup companies. Um, and there was something common in all of those environments it was extremely difficult to get our hands around the data, make sense of it, and then keep it uh, in a state that was good. Um, Sometimes those processes were very manual, so I was the guy having to do all that manual work. Um, Rationalizing data or bringing data in from multiple areas was always a challenge. What, What basically moved me to start this as a company is it became extremely clear to me that data was not going away Uh, as a strategic asset. Data had always been inside companies as either a byproduct of operations or just part of reality of um, doing business. But watching data move to become a strategic asset was uh, happening faster and more often as I went through my corporate career. And I also began noticing how much data was becoming available outside, uh, data beyond the clients or our company's four walls. So 
that's what sparked the idea. Um, the the skill set needed to make that happen was what I grew up doing, and that's uh, basically blending data, rationalizing data from multiple sources. So that's how I came up with the idea. Uh, and uh, the technologies in during my career have advanced so much. Um, if I had wanted to do things like competitive intelligence early in my career, it meant putting somebody in a seat and looking at Hoover's or D&B and researching competition. Nowadays, all of that stuff can be automated uh, through data scraping and tools available that allow us to do it faster, more efficiently, and hosting all of this stuff in the cloud. Um, that's the need I saw, companies needing better access to intelligence and a heads up as to what's going on in the world beyond their four walls. We'll come back and talk maybe a case study or two in a second because you and I've walked through this and I think it's really fascinating. But uh, before we do that, so who are your target customers and why? So um, I can answer that question on who I've decided to focus on. I haven't met a company yet who has everything together when it comes to data. So this seemed to be a universal need, and I don't think it's getting smaller. I think it's getting um, larger as a need in the business community. Companies of all sizes are trying to get a handle on this. Um, my target customer, I have found uh, a really cool fit with uh, smaller companies, um, probably a little past startup phase, but companies that are into operations, generating revenue, and the commonality I'm finding with my clients who are successful are companies targeted on growth. Um, they're not doing a ride down of a consolidated market. They're looking for placement of capital relative to growth opportunity. Those customers um, I'm finding are typically mid-market customers. They're looking for strategic advantage. They know that they can probably approach an existing or even mature market in a new way. They've got a better mousetrap. They just need to know how to target their uh, potential finite resources in the best way possible and get a return on that. And that's why they make a good fit with me. I help them target uh, those opportunities without having to do a scatter shot or perhaps you know spending resource they may not have uh, in excess. So target customers for me right now are the mid-market companies. So low side, you might talk to somebody with what, a million dollars in revenues? Or would you go smaller than that? It, it, probably a million. It would. Be, what I'm finding is there needs to be enough data flowing that we're learning something by the transactions. Whatever business my client's in, obviously the more data we're getting on their transactions, their interaction with customers, their experience in the market, we learn from. Um, and depending upon uh, a company's track record and having conducted transactions, they may already have a background that allows them some insight into those markets or those verticals, uh, but really helping them accelerate that, we're looking for data. And if they're generating data, we, may, we put that back to use. So I'm not sure it's a dollar value as much as it is. Do they have experience generating transactions or interaction with their, their market? And on the high side, I mean, is there a limit to how big of a company you personally would probably go after? Because at some point, don't you end up like competing against the, I don't know who's out there now. They, they've all changed names so many times. They sound like toothpaste, but like Accenture and IBM, I mean, is, is once you get up to the fortune, what, 100 or something, it's kind of crowded at the top, isn't it? Uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting environment because the bigger the client, from my perspective, the bigger the client, the um, the more complex the environment to help um, bring together for an opportunity, and I don't mean just the data. I mean the culture. 
Right. That's so the most I, polite way I've ever heard of somebody trying not to say that it's a pain in the ass to deal with the bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be polite because they too have budget, right? But the, uh, the the issue is uh, trying to get a group of people in in the same direction is not a unique challenge. Everybody faces this. I personally, I'm I'm loving working with mid market companies because I'm typically dealing with an owner or an executive who knows they've been challenged with growth. They've been challenged with something. They need an answer and they're willing to pull a trigger and make it happen. The larger the company, my experience has been, that becomes a much slower process because of the number of sign-offs and individual or positions involved in making it happen. Uh, The other side of that, and this is probably fodder for an entirely different discussion, is the tasks that have already been assigned from uh, perhaps like a capital expenditure standpoint inside the larger companies, they're not as nimble, they can't react as fast, they take a lot of pre-planning relative to budget cycles. But when you think about the technology infrastructure in a company, uh, the skill set necessary to analyze market opportunity through data is not necessarily the same skill set that exists within a lot of IT organizations. And that conversation gets confused a lot. Uh, I'm a huge proponent about moving the conversation about data from a technology-based conversation to a business-focused conversation. My clients that we're, we're moving at light speed with are the business people. Technology is necessary to fuel the opportunity and make it uh, more accessible and perhaps even accelerate it, but it's a business conversation that drives it. The technology is simply there to enable it and make it happen. So inside those larger companies, you get a lot of people who have been trained perhaps in IT infrastructure, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best group of skill set to work with for analytic opportunity of uh, identifying markets. Well, and I would assume that if you're dealing with owners too, I mean, when I say owners, I mean not just actual company owners, but in a mid-market company, the owner of a project, the owner of a need who has budget to get you. Uh, the technology piece, actually, the more techie it gets, doesn't it make their eyes glaze over? I mean, you lose, don't you lose them? It does. And so I, I had a, uh, a fairly unique um, career in corporate America that allowed me to ride right in between the business decision makers and the IT guys. So I uh, learned to speak both languages. I worked as almost a translator between the two groups. Both are required. It's not one or the other. And there is a bit of a territorial discussion and debate that happens in the larger companies who should own the initiative. Data fundamentally, in my opinion, is moving much more toward the business uh, discussion. It is a strategic asset, and I'm convinced it will be the trigger of competitive opportunity more than operations. Uh, The more companies know not just about what they do today and how their operations are happening, but what's going on outside of their company that could affect them beyond their control, that's, in my opinion, what's coming next. And so it's not really an IT conversation. It is business. And so, look, obviously, you know, being the translator and the middleman, you need to fundamentally understand before you walk in the door how a business guy uses data. And then I then to some level, I guess you've either had to design your your backbone has to be pretty sophisticated, regardless of what the data people I mean, the business people ever see about it. Right. Correct. I, in my um, my environment, the Fairfax Strategies environment is cloud-based. We're in the Microsoft Azure environment. I have infinite scale, infinite uptime opportunity. My SLAs 
are exactly where I need to be. Um, and I partner with uh, basically cutting edge technology companies to build these solutions. So I have access to all the pieces necessary to enable the technology side uh, much faster than most companies would be able to afford to home grow it or build it internally. And that's really what resonates with my clients. They need to focus on their core competency. They don't want to take capital out of their uh, potential for growth opportunity and reallocate it to try to learn this game. Um, and the fun part for me is I don't walk in the door with my clients and operate as a subject matter expert on their business. They are. My clients are the subject matter experts of their opportunity, their business, their market. Wow. I'm, I'm sorry. You're going to hear my dog contribute here. So, so is that one of your vice presidents in the background? That's it. I, I, I don't have a big budget for staff. How's that? So, um, <laughs> What ends up happening is my client operates as that subject matter expert. What they're relying on me for is the best, most efficient way to get data, blend the data, and present it back to them in a way that they can pull a trigger fast with as much intelligence as they can get. I'm really good at bringing data together. My clients are really good at knowing their markets. So a lot of our audience is startups and early stage company, companies, and, and we'll, we'll focus the uh, discussion back to some real specific relevancy for them. But I, I, I think learning a couple lessons uh, is uh, instructive for them. So give me the kind of in, an internal horror story when you were working before as to when it frustrated the heck out of you of how you couldn't get data. And then I want to know of a case study you know, now some of the cool things that you're doing for people uh, to illustrate how data can be extracted internally and externally and combined. But first, the horror story. I don't know why I like train wrecks. Maybe <laughs> maybe I'm a closet NASCAR fan and I've never realized it, you know, so. Well, a lot of that, uh, the horror story actually is, is a lot more normal than you think. It's flying blind, right? So, um, Maybe not in the world of marketing, but an example, uh, earlier in my career, working for a uh, Fortune 500 large market wholesale distribution company, um, their growth was attributed mainly to acquisition. And at the point in time, I was trying to pull data together and help perform analysis. We probably had 36 different operating systems across 12 different businesses uh, nationwide, uh, including actually Canada and Mexico. Bottom line of that exercise was they wanted to get their hands around uh, payment terms. Um, how are they paying their vendors? And trying to get the same definition of a payment term across 36 different operating systems where you might end up with four different definitions of revenue, uh, half a dozen different definitions of margin, uh, carrying costs, all of the components you would typically end up with single definition were all over the place. Um, to compound the situation with performing um, that analysis, just on syntax level alone, if I were to give you a payment term like 25th procs, uh, there were 256 variations of the syntax, the language itself on how to describe a payment term, not to mention what the actual term was in financial terms. Across all of these systems, that had to be brought together, defined, rationalized down, and then calculated to value. Um, to compound all of that, it was a publicly traded company and it needed the answer before the next earnings call. So, um, that was a fun, a, a, a pretty tense moment in my early career as an analyst to try to 
run and grab data from all of those systems, and we're talking about a $5 billion a year company, uh, perform the analysis, rationalize it down, then be able to give um, our CFO an answer that says, here's where our spend on payment terms lies across 256 variations. Um, and, you know, to cut a long story short, what it took us to is one, learning how disparate and dirty our data was. So that was a great lesson to learn. Uh, second, we needed to simplify that variation of a payment term across so many different systems so that we could actually manage it to the kind of payment term we wanted. And if you think that uh, in a payment term calculation, 30 days equals 1% um, for monetary value, we ended up managing uh, several millions of dollars worth of terms to our primary target terms, which was basically an improvement to one and a half, two percent in total payment. So feather in the cap, millions of dollars were moved uh, to an advantage and a huge lesson to a very large environment at an enterprise level of how bad their internal data was and what risk that actually causes them um, behind the scenes. And nobody wants to explain missing your published numbers because you didn't have your handle on your payment terms. Wow. Uh, when I said I wanted a horror story, I didn't realize you'd scare me and my audience to death. Uh, th that was pretty horrific. Uh, and I'm sorry you were the poor soul that was tasked with it. Uh, I, can, <laughs> I can see why you moved to another company. <laughs> so, so okay, so that's the internal nightmare that people can face in some companies and, uh, you know, why it's important to have a good analytics tools and good visibility into your data. It's also perhaps not your intention, but it's also a great lesson in why it's important to st stitch together systems a little bit when you do roll-ups. Um, but, but so talk a little bit now about what you do in a generic way without revealing your clients. Can you talk about an actual project that kind of shows some of the cool stuff that can be done? I know this is radio and they can't see your demos, which are amazing, but uh, describe it a little bit. Yeah. So we have one of the most interesting ones um, is for a, a U.S. home builder, a nationwide U.S. home builder. And uh, their their objective originally started as they were going to uh, approach market opportunity through writing white papers, doing some market research locally and then publishing some white papers internally across their sales divisions. My experience and my opinion was uh, I do not believe that white papers are an effective tool to uh, act on or engage um, people in a direction for growth might be educational, but not really functional. So um, this home builder wanted to, their objective was to move beyond the uh, saturated U.S. home buyer market. They wanted to find a way to present their properties and make their properties uh, visible to foreign nationals working in the United States. Um, it sounded pretty interesting to me and I felt that there's probably data that we could go chase to bring that kind of insight in-house for them, for them to be able to see and engage their sales force. Uh, long story made short, that e evolved uh, through a pilot project on four cities. We've just expanded it to 19 markets for them across the U.S. We are now tracking uh, three years worth of all H-1B worker visas as well as all permanent worker visas for the last three years in the United States. These are applications submitted by employers for workers, 
And through that data, we're able to give this client direct insight into the location, the income, the type of job, the employer for these foreign national workers, as well as their country of origin because our client wants to be able to present a path to U.S. home ownership to foreign nationals. It would help them greatly craft that messaging if they knew what language it should be in to attract attention. Uh, to support that analysis, this is all active dashboarding available to the client. Uh, they navigate it 24-7. They log into the Fairfax Strategies cloud. So to augment that um, permanent worker and H-1B visa worker data, we are also tracking the last 12 months worth of all inbound direct international flights. So our client knows that there are neighborhoods that are very wealthy in China that fly to Southern California and drop a million dollars on jewelry. They would like to sell those people uh, the opportunity for U.S. home ownership, which in the United States is also a potential path to U.S. citizenship. So uh, by giving them insight into travel patterns uh, for direct inbound flights into their target markets, we're tracking all of them globally, nationally, and brought into their specific markets. They can at least get an understanding of points of origin, flight path, and destination for messaging again about U.S. home ownership opportunity for foreign nationals. Um, you asked me earlier in this conversation about um, – data scraping and uh, how you get data from uh, kind of the internet in general. The third piece that we put in place for this home builder is uh, it, they build the house. They would like to sell it to uh, a worker in the United States on a visa. Somebody's got to do, conduct that transaction. That's a real estate agent. So we scrape, uh, we write algorithms that scrape the internet and build profiles on real estate agents and serve that back to our client again in the dashboard. So Within one environment, our client knows where the travel patterns are taking place to and from, who's working for which employer, making how much money. We've also plotted their home developments for proximity um, to those job sites. And then lastly, we give them a directory of qualified real estate agents who are experienced in conducting international real estate transactions, including their contact information and email addresses. Um, everything I just described to you, the solution for this home builder, it's all external data uh, except for the location of their home sites. So it's a great example of how we're helping a traditional mature market home building utilize external data and bring it in the form of intelligence to help them uh, focus their sales force and their sales uh, approach. It drastically affects their go-to-market strategy. They can now approach an employer and instead of hunting for one or two home potential home buyers, they can strike again, a path to home ownership with that employer. And for the employer's sake, it operates as a recruiting and retention tool for foreign national workers to come work for them. Uh, so it's a win-win. It's pretty cool use of external data to give a company visibility into markets that actually didn't know were markets. Um, on a different angle, you know, you described the horror story, please don't describe it again, of, of you know, the drill of trying to assemble the internal data for the, you know, Fortune 100 company you dealt with, you used to work for. What are you doing for other companies in terms of getting there? How do you? Ha I understand how you scrape, and I understand how you can find nifty data. Uh, but how do you, as an outsider, come in and help a company get a better handle on their own internal data? Because they know their systems 
and, and data, or at least they, they know where their data, I would think, is better than you. How do you add value there? Sure. Uh, kind of an alternate to the example I gave that was um, the home builder. I have another client that manufactures product uh, that is sold through um, almost all major U.S. retail chains, Walmart, Walgreens, Rite Aid, Speedway, all of the major chains. Um, and given their size, they're, they're, they've got a financial platform that they're running, all, obviously, all of their financial data through. All of the retailers, like the Walmarts and Rite Aids, send them weekly sales sheets uh, about what products sold at what stores. Um, and then they also have an environment, of course, where they were having to warehouse their product and get their shipments in line. What Fairfax does for a company like that, this is all pretty traditional manufacturing distribution information. Uh, it's an extremely manual process for them to say, all right, let's pull together all of our sales data. Uh, let's make sure we're getting all of the data that we need necessary from our financial system. And we need to quickly calculate not just um, sales and margin, but we get returns. Um, and we need to know how, how old those return requests are. We've got a, a retailer sending us a batch of returns worth uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars and it's aging, it's sitting somewhere, it'll be forced back on their door um, at some point in time. That's a financial risk. That's on the horizon. Uh, so again, as my client goes to market, sells a lot of product, the volume of potential returns becomes a uh, behind the scenes risk. Uh, calculating both time, volume, and potential return uh, is a, a huge issue for them relative to capital uh, impact. Fairfax takes all of that data. There's no one inside their organization who pulls all of that together as part of their day-to-day -day responsibility. We do. We take that data uh, from multiple points inside their company, pull it together, automate the feed into the cloud, and synchronize dashboards to update them on a rolling 24-hour basis. So the CEO now only needs to log into Fairfax and gets an idea of not just their, their volume of sales and margin and um, product placement across all their retailers, but the volume of potential returns building uh, and actually moving through their system. So most businesses, as you know, are a living organism. Uh, part of what we're doing in that scenario is we're making sure the client has direct line of sight to that living organism, what's happening at any given point in time through all aspects, sales, finance, operations, all of it's connected and all of them impact each other. Uh, for a client like that, they would not take the time or the capital hit to try to build out that infrastructure to make it happen. They could over time, given their size and their growth, I present an opportunity that brings it into the Fairfax environment, and I do it in a way that provides them a solution with a predictable cost. My clients pay me a subscription fee, so it's known, and it works into their operating expense rather than a capital expenditure or a potential um, hidden financial hit. Uh, as they grow. We can scale infinitely using cloud-based infrastructure and my client gets a predictable cost relative to their operations and analytics. Essentially, it's a SaaS model. I mean, it is 100%. And the difficulty, depending on the, the client's environment, is how disparate is that data? Uh, if they bring on half a dozen more retailers over the next year, which we hope that they will, every one of those retailers has their own protocol and formatting of their sales reporting. It doesn't all come in the form of a spreadsheet. We get text files, CSV, ASCII files. We get all kinds of stuff. Um, what my team does is we program that to be interpreted in its raw native environment and format. We feed it into our cloud environment, perform the calculations there, 
and the client doesn't need to worry about it. All that my client needs to focus on is can they get the data from the parties that they do business with. Um, I would tell you all of that really focuses on how to leverage data that's taking place anyway and make it a strategic asset. The the evolution of where this is going, I believe, is the next step, which is my client is paying money to develop this. They pay me money to provide them on uh, tap analytics. But that cost can be reversed out and actually become a revenue stream, in my opinion. I believe where we're going, and it's already started, if a company's made that investment to learn from its data operationally and strategically, there's a good chance somebody else wants that. Maybe not the detail, but certainly the insight. And I typically call that, as I'm talking with my clients about what the next step is, I think that's data commercialization. That's what I call it. You've made the investment to get your hands around your data. You know it better than anybody and you know what's happening. And there's a good chance you have some insight relative to move of market and how your company and your data impact those opportunities. Somebody else in your supply chain would like to see that as well. And what's beginning to happen is companies are learning that the data that they've invested in to um, harbor and uh, grow is an asset not just for their own execution, but it could be an asset to be monetized within their supply chain. That may be for a dollar. Maybe they sell that those data sets for a dollar, but more than likely where it becomes real is it's simply a value to be negotiated. For the client I just mentioned in the retail environment, they can open up a sanitized view of what I've built for them available to their supply chain, and they can receive in return a discount, an accelerated discount, uh, an extension on payment term, however they want to negotiate that value. But at the end of the day, that's what it is. When companies, in my opinion, make that investment and go down the road to truly understand their data as a strategic asset, it is an asset, and it can be monetized as such if they know how to do it. Well, it might be a reflection of how little I know about uh, technology from a corporate standpoint, or maybe I should just be amazed at what you're doing. But I do find it amazing that you can go to a company and not understand actually their systems, uh, and they can deliver you raw data in its original form, and you can somehow pull it together in a way that they cannot, which they're paid to do, uh, and, uh, you know, then reassemble the data to create knowledge. And then, you know, data and knowledge are not the same thing. That's pretty amazing. So uh, it tells me also that it must be really important who hires you in because those yes. people have to cooperate with you. And people are possessive of data because it can be a weapon as well as, you know, a tool. How, where do you normally get hired in into a company like that? I mean, does it have to come from the very top so that, you know, people, you, you know, you're a nice guy, but they know they have to cooperate with you? Well, I think that's key, right? And it's not key just for what I do with Fairfax, but uh, yes to everything you just said. But it's also key within any of the larger enterprise initiatives I ever participated in. If you didn't get executive stakeholder buy-in at the top, you're swimming upstream. And those projects typically became... Um, long and expensive uh, and yielded minimal results because territoriality at some point plays a role. So that's true in the um, my career path at larger organizations. It's true now that I'm running my own business. And that's, I think, why I'm probably migrating to mid-market companies. I'm dealing directly with the guy who says, I need the answer to this and I need it quick. And I should also say that, um, just to clarify, my, my clients would probably be ticked at me if 
if I made it sound like they can't do what I'm doing, they're not given the resource, opportunity, or time to pursue some of these things that I've mentioned. They've, they're analysts working their butts off already trying to get returns processed, inventory out, whatever the thing is that they've been challenged to do. So what I'm presenting to my client is, is actually a return on time. It's an opportunity to accelerate what they're trying to get to without encumbering their existing overhead. Uh, it's all smart people, and I would not be able to actually get half of what I do done if my client didn't participate with me as a partner. And I have to tell you, that's the fun part. I'm good at going and getting and, and, and blending data. My clients are really fun and good people about their markets. Uh, they understand what's happening at their companies and they know how to make um, new things happen. They need help. And I fit that bill uh, very easily. They don't have to go out and hire advanced analytic skill sets. And certainly they don't have to reinvent cloud-based technologies. They get to focus on their core business. So I said earlier that, you know, the majority of the audience is really startup and early stage uh, uh, entrepreneurs. And so to some extent, this is, you know, they're probably thinking, well, I don't have this problem yet and I may not have it yet. But I guess, you know, knowing that you're talking to you know, entrepreneurs who are on the uh, early stage of building and scaling and creating growth, you know, what lessons would you tell people about the importance and use of data that would that that are practical that uh, would help them think about how to use data both to scale and and envisioning how to use it uh, once they have scaled sure so I, you know from my perspective and in, in what I see happen with a lot of companies whether they're early phase or much more mature it's about the attitude in what data could do to help them the larger, more mature companies I've worked with, data was a byproduct. It was operations first. And yes, we have data. Let's go see what we can find out. For a startup company, the opportunity is huge to see that on the front end of building a business, data is a strategic component. Just as much as selling a product or service, the data yielded from that transaction is incredibly important. And if it's treated that way on the front end, there's a good chance they're going to build in um, the quality controls necessary to be able to use that data down the line. Uh, it becomes a huge problem, and especially the larger the company, the more financial impact to clean data after the fact. Uh, smaller companies just starting out, if they understand that the data they generate is going to be worth something, uh, they were likely to treat it with that and put protocols in place to keep data clean, organized, and readily accessible. There are a lot of tools out there that can help uh, smaller companies move faster by looking at their data without having to make huge capital investments. Uh, my advice is it's not just the product or service that you're selling. It's also what you learn from that transaction. And the only way you're going to learn from that is if you can see that transaction ongoing. Uh, invest in the quality of your data. Invest in how you're going to access and give some thought into what the strategic role data should play in the growth of your business. It's huge. Yeah, when I've talked to some of the startup and early stage companies that I've consulted, the challenge is, is they're so, say, release driven or product launch driven, uh, which is natural because they've got, you know, they're thinly capitalized and they've got a burn rate and there's pressure to get something in the market that they usually know they should be doing something, but they don't have time to. And I constantly try to remind them, you know, think about how to monetize your data 
and pay attention to it in your building phase so that your systems where you capture data have integrity because ultimately, you know, you can't monetize garbage. Um, so you have to make a conscious effort on the front side to realize that the value that's there when you build your systems and you build your processes and your people and you can't, it's very hard to come back to that once you've aggregated a massive amount of data. It gets more expensive to go back and figure out what to do with it. That, that's correct. And um, I would also tell you perhaps for early stage uh, companies, the data whatever quality or condition it is, however big or small you may be trying to come out with new products and services, the data is worth something. And a great way to exercise that without a huge investment would be to open up that dialogue with your, your trading partners, with your supply chain, with your ecosystem, whoever you do business with, whoever you might want to do business with. Access to data is going to become a negotiable asset. So an out-of-the-gate opportunity for some of these small companies can be, if they're going to yield certain data that nobody else can see, open up opportunities to share insight from that data with trading partners. That could advance them quicker, at least if for no other reason than uh, partnering closer with the companies they want to go to market with. Um, it will become an asset over time as it grows, but right out of the gate, it's worth something. And I would tell you, I think... As I'm hearing companies talk to each other about how to get their hands on more data, more strategic data beyond their four walls, it, it comes down to uh, relationships. So um, I would tell you, I think there's an opportunity for companies to use their data, however small it may be out of the gate, as a conversation to strategically align with partners to go to market. Yeah, and I think something that you said earlier is important for people to keep in mind. Uh, I don't think they have to be focused on uh, creating a data product and saying, well, this is the price for it. I think essentially it's a it's fungible. I mean, for for one partner that the data might be, you know, you it, you barter additional, like you said, payment terms and, you know, in exchange for it. For another, it, it might be sold. There might be an actual price for it. Um, I, I don't I don't think there's one way to quote unquote, well, I, I think you trade it, you don't sell it. I mean, you, you can trade it for money, which I guess is a sale, or you trade it for something else. But I think if you think of it in that terms, it opens up even more possibilities. I agree completely. And I think those possibilities at this point only get bigger. So out of curiosity, uh, before we sign off, John, uh, how, I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a, a, a growth company, and I, I've already, I've probably thought about this need, or this conversation makes a, a, you know, light bulb go off. How do, you know, companies like Fairfax, what's usually a pricing model, or what's, you know, how, how do you guys structure your, 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 your fees? I mean, I'm not, I don't think the actual dollars are that important. It's really how it, how are they usually, you know, crafted? Sure, it, it's fairly simple. Um, Typically, our engagement with clients um, have some form of setup. We get in, we learn their environment, do a current state to understand where does the data sit, um, how ugly is it, how good is it. It may actually be a very clean and easy to access environment. Uh, maybe all their data sits in one place. Uh, it's great. And then somebody in their company typically walks us through how to interpret the fields of data within those systems. Um, so there's some form of setup involved. And then once like I, when, sorry, John, to interrupt, but when you say setup, are you doing an assessment or is it different than that? 
Uh, is, is, there, is there like an output that, okay, you know, this is what we see or, you know, what is that? Yeah, so functionally, like if, if we get into the, the tactical of what we do going in, after we've learned where their data sits, then we got to get it. We can't really, uh, for us to do our job of building a great online dashboard and analytics environment for the client, we got to get the data. It may mean that we write code that goes from our cloud down into their environment. It may mean our client exports data sheets uh, or builds a repository. We actually create cloud-based repositories for our clients to drop data into. Uh, we can automate those processes. So at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is eliminate manual work and replace it with automation. If I can get to the data and automate that process, fantastic. So that's what our setup typically is. Understand what that environment is and then create some form of automation to get that data either into our cloud or get access to that data from our cloud. Uh, and then we build a prototype application. So that setup is learning the environment, pulling the data, and building a prototype so the client can experience it, get in there, play with it, and say, yes, this works, or it's close, we need to tweak a few things, I'd really like to see these metrics. Most of that is not a technology conversation. Honestly, most of it is the executive that I'm talking to, the owner of the company, the head of the initiative, head of sales, whoever it might be, will say, I really need to know X by X. I need to know how many prospects that look like this are in this area. I need to know how many of my customers are buying these products, not those. They have questions. They have some kind of uh, inquiry that they need to solve. That lets me and my team focus on what data we need in order to satisfy that. Uh, and that's actually probably, uh, sadly, at the end of this conversation, one of the most important components. Um, no one should run down the road building analytics for analytics sake. It's only to answer a question. And oftentimes we can get uh, scope creep and get sidelined with a whole bunch of potential, but we always come back to, well, what are the three things we're trying to solve for this client? What are they trying to learn? Uh, we focus on that. We build the prototype app. The client experiences it. And if all goes well and we get the data we need, we can provide them the insight and metrics that they're looking for. Fairfax hosts that in the cloud environment and issues license for them and their team to access 24-7. Um, and our environment is mobily optimized as well. So some of our clients don't actually work from a home computer. They're, they're out and about um, so they can hit us from any mobile device. Very cool. Uh, well, John, that's uh, been fascinating. Uh, I wish they could see your visual demonstrations. I have seen your dashboards and the things that you can do and the ease with which the graphics uh, can make data of use to uh, simple-minded executives like myself. And uh, <laughs> it's really cool stuff. So uh, I appreciate you taking some time to tell people about what you do and about the importance of data. Out of curiosity, before we sign off, how do people find you? Uh, the easiest way is hit our website. It gives a little more information about who we are, how we do what we do. Uh, and that is fairfaxstrategies.com. All one word, fairfaxstrategies.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, John, for being our guest today. I'm sure our uh, audience has learned a lot. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Good night.